good to be with you again today. <clears throat> I just want to uh, begin by reading a, a passage of uh, the gospel. So if you'd be so kind to stand. <clears throat> it's from the gospel of Luke. Then the celebration began. Now the older son had been out in the field and on his way back as he neared the house, he heard the sound of music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what this might mean. The servant said to him, your brother has returned and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. He became angry and when he refused to enter the house, his father came out and pleaded with him. He said to his father in reply, look, all these years I served you and not once did I disobey your orders. But you never gave me even a young goat to feast on with my friends. But when your son returns, who swallowed up your property with prostitutes, for him you slaughter the fattened calf. He said to him, my son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. But now we must celebrate and rejoice because your brother was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please be seated. Okay, everyone, as I mentioned yesterday, we're going to continue today in a progressive manner from what we uh, began yesterday. And today it's a bit bold and ambitious, but I want us to, uh, this talk, I want to go through the choice you and I have to receive the love of God into our hearts. So we went, covered yesterday, how God's heart is opened up to us. How it's opened and comes close to us. And now today, how we choose to come close and open up ours to him. So the two meet. And thus this intimacy with God, this closeness with God, which is what holiness is. Union of hearts with God. Very good. And so thanks, Bob. He put up the quote I want us all to memorize, interiorize, and tell as many people as we can find. The most fruitful activity of the human person, what is it? Is to be able to receive God. The most fruitful activity of the human person is to be able to receive God. This was made for pasta, pizza. It receives it all. The soul was made to receive God. That is the Blessed Mother. When we talk about the Marian dimension of the church, we are talking about a bride who receives from the bridegroom. And the Catechism says this, the Marian dimension always precedes the Petrine dimension. 
Petrine being Peter. So ministry in the church, leadership in the church, only comes after receptivity in the church. We receive the sacraments. We receive a vocation. We receive authority from God. We receive it all and then minister out of it. Where I don't receive, I am acting idolatrously. My own ego. I'm doing my own thing. Like Martha. And she's mad at Jesus for making her serve him when she's the one making it up. So guys, don't get intimidated by this whole receptivity thing. However, you should feel a little inadequate. And you should feel a little awkward. And this is why. <clears throat> the reason we should feel a bit awkward is, according to St. John Paul II, receptivity is the feminine genius What is the genius of the feminine? It knows how to receive love. Any healthy feminine soul loves to be loved. Radical feminism says that's bad. You got to impose yourself. It's weak to just receive. It's 8.30 and I'm already mad. The, that is the genius of the feminine, ladies. And when you read Ephesians 5 about husbands and wives loving each other, Peter's addressing what has been broken in masculinity and femininity and the response and choice they need to make for it to be healed, for it to be remedied. But that's another talk. The Virgin Mary taught the human soul of Jesus how to receive love from the Father. Mary's receptivity formed his soul. How to receive love from the Father. Which then drove his whole life. Now, guys, don't get creeped out with this. <clears throat> so now you can see how, why a male priesthood. In relationship to the church, me, a priest, is a father. The masculine initiates, the feminine receives. I love marriage preparation. 
you can find priests who are curmudgeons about that whole thing and they say stuff like they'd rather do 20 funerals than one wedding and all that. But I love marriage preparation. I love working with people who are in love and then showing them how shallow their love is on some occasion. <laughs> but one of the things I do in getting to know them is I love to let them pull the curtain back a little so I can see behind what's, what uh, this preciousness they have. And so at a certain point, I always ask them, would you be so kind as to tell me the proposal and how that went? Well, the first one I say is, when was the first time you said, I love you to each other? It's amazing, everyone, how they know exactly where that happened, when that happened. And then I ask them, uh, the engagement, the proposal, how'd that go? Wow, if I, if I ever had thought prior to this that men weren't romantic, I have learned otherwise. I'm really impressed with what some guys do in planning out this precious moment of a, of a proposal. Some have put couches on top of, on rooftops and all kinds of things. But out of hundreds, I've prepared hundreds of couples for marriage. You should be surprised to know this. Never has a bride proposed to a groom. Why is that? It's certainly not because of social convention. We've destroyed every other social convention. It's because masculinity initiates. Femininity receives. And in many cases, she wanted the proposal to happen a long time. But she waited in this posture of receptivity. Now guys, this is where I'm talking about don't get creeped out. When it comes to our posture before God, every soul is feminine. God initiates everything. We receive. And that's why, good men, we are often uncomfortable in becoming the spiritual leader of the family. Because we sense very often the woman knows how this dynamic works. This dynamic of intimacy with God. We have a sense that I am, I am not a genius here and she is. It's what St. Joseph had to overcome to carry out his vocation. Mary, the virgin mother, turning to her, to him, asking him to be the leader of the family, as God did. And he's intimidated, but he has to overcome it. So every soul before God is feminine. And that's why, dear people, we're supposed to see that at every Mass 
If you go to a wedding, how does it go? Huh? The, bride, the groom walks in before the bride. He stands up front. The bridegroom stands up front, waiting for the bride to come down the aisle. She walks down the center aisle. She receives her groom, and he receives his bride. Every Mass, Christ the bridegroom stands in front. And the bride, the church, your soul comes down the center of the aisle to receive your groom and your groom to receive you. Communion, the Mass is nuptial every time. But if we don't have a receptive soul, we don't actually receive Holy Communion at a, at a level that changes me. That's how you can have people who go to Mass for 40, 50 years and they're still self-righteous, judgmental, mean people. They're not receiving God. So receptivity. In case you're wondering, I haven't even started my talk yet. (laughs) Because I first wanted to convince you that this is the secret. Wherever you feel alone, you need to grow in receptivity. In receiving God. Wherever you feel burdened, The remedy is receiving God there. Receiving the presence, receiving our Lord. I'm not saying once we learn how to receive, everything's Disneyland. I'm not saying that. The cross is real, and we're going to get into what that looks like. But the fact is, The fact is the fundamental nature of the soul in regards to God is to be receptive. It is not you who loved me, but I who loved you. It is not you who chose me, but I chose you. Love consists in this, not that we have loved God, but that he has first loved us. And so all of holiness is about a response to the God who has uh, already acted in my regard. The reason I chose this gospel, did you see that? And I touched on it yesterday. The elder son says to the father, you haven't given me so much as a kid goat. The father's response is, Everything I have, I have given you. Everything I have is yours. So what is the problem? The elder son is incapable of receiving from the father. 
That is the source of sin. That's what drove the younger son away. He wanted joy. He wanted life. He wanted friendship. And the father won't fulfill that desire. So I got to go looking for it elsewhere. It plays out on all kinds of, in all kinds of ways. Hmm? I feel lonely. I want to be consoled. I want to be consoled. And so I eat four chocolate chip cookies. I turn on the TV and watch TV for two hours. Why? Because I don't believe if I go to God, he will actually, I can actually receive what my heart desires from him. <clears throat> so, that's what this talk is about. I have five steps. Five steps in cultivating a receptive heart. Now, before I get into those five steps, five more things. No, I'm kidding. One more thing. I don't want any of you to walk away here not understanding what, not having a concrete understanding of what we mean when we talk about in faith. So all of this happens in faith. Everything we're talking about occurs only within the space of faith. When I leave faith, everything I'm talking about, none of uh, anything I'm talking about actually happens. It all happens in faith. What do I mean by in faith? To keep it real simple, let, let's just think of it this way. To live in faith is to, is to choose to allow the truth that has been revealed by God in Jesus to be the authority in my life. So when my experience disagrees with that, I choose to believe what God has revealed, not my experience. As we talked about yesterday, when my feelings tell me I'm alone. If I believe them, I have left faith. If I have a desire for peace, for hope, for love, for respect, for honesty, for truthfulness, and something says, but in order for the, that desire to be fulfilled, you have to leave the will of God. You have to do something that's against God. In order for you to be able to get that love you're looking for, that peace you're looking for, that hope you're looking for. That's precisely what the serpent did to Adam and Eve. You got to leave the will of God to get this. Once I follow that, I have left faith. 
Once, my experience says, yeah. The official teachings of the Catholic Church, one of those, I disagree with. And so I'm going to follow my experience and what my puny little mind thinks. In that area, I'm not living by faith. And so everything we're talking about, about meeting God, intimacy with God, can't happen there. Because I went outside of God. Is that making sense? Don't make it complicated. Most of following Jesus is this. Am I going to choose to believe what he has revealed? Or my own feelings? My own experience? Which one is going to be the authority in my life? Now here's the beautiful thing. If I follow Jesus with these five steps coming up, then he will actually get into my feelings. Because now my feelings will be in faith. And those feelings outside of him, I don't follow. Those thoughts outside of him, I don't follow. Those desires outside of him, I don't follow. So, now on to my presentation. <laughs> you guys gave me extra time anyway. So here we go. Step one. This is easy stuff, you guys. I hope you're not um, thinking that uh, I'm going to tell you something that gets you around the cross. It ain't. But number one, the first step, the first step in receiving God, in cultivating a receptive heart, is believing in faith in God's merciful movement toward your poverty, toward your need. That he comes close to you, as we were saying yesterday, that God's splachnitzomai in the gospel applies to you It applies to you. And so when you go to pray, that's how God is beholding you. I don't have to get him to come close to me. My need has already done that. Believing in faith in God's merciful movement toward you. And that's where he comes. And that's what you bring. So believing in faith. Second, believing in faith that God wants us to experience him in his mercy. in heartfelt ways because it makes us good. It makes us faithful. 
It makes us hope-filled. It makes us loving. What makes you a saint? Receiving God. So those two, the elder son, dear people, the elder son couldn't do that. He couldn't receive. He could not see his father that way. He was trying to get his father to be good to him. If you follow any thought or feeling in your prayer to get God to be good to you, you've left faith. You've left faith. He's already good. He's the goodest. You're trying to receive his goodness. We can have this we can have this uh, imagined this we can have in our mind prayer imagined this way and it's heretical that i come to prayer i have something i want i desire i communicate it to god to get him to want what i want and then he either says yes or no. That prayer is about me getting God to want what I want. That's pagan. That's not the heart, that's not Christian prayer. And we'll cover what that is in a few minutes. Third, the third step So believing in God's merciful gaze upon me, believing that he actually wants me to experience from that gaze. It's not just an idea. And then third, it's this simple. I want it. I desire God, I desire your mercy. I desire your mercy. I want you to fill me with all you want to fill me with. I want it. Your people don't write that off as something simple, as something I wanted. I wanted. I wanted something fancier, Monsignor. You're letting me down. Listen closely. It is precisely through the desire for God's gifts that we receive them. But now, listen. If you desire mercy, if you desire the love of God. then you have to stop rejecting the very place you need mercy. 
you remember the uh, story of the Samaritan woman at the well? It's one of my favorites. Pull it out and pray with it at some point this week when you go home. But if you remember, Jesus meets her at the well. He talks to her about living water. You know, if you would ask me, I would give you water that would well up and you'd never be thirsty again. And she says, sir, give me that water. She, of course, doesn't know what she's asking for. But she has a desire. For whatever he's given, I want. And then for like 40 years of my life, I thought Jesus just had a certain ADHD moment and started talking about something else, that he got distracted, that he actually ignored what she said. She said, sir, give me that water. And so he listens to her and he says, go, bring me your husband. He answered her prayer. I don't have a husband. You're right, you had five. And the man you're with now isn't your husband. He went right where the shame was. I can't want God's mercy and say, but don't go to those places. God, I want your mercy to just kind of approve me. Where I have it all together, just kind of tell me I'm great. Every time before I go to the dentist, for the three days before, I brush four times, I floss three times. (laughs) And I get some of those strips. You know why? Because when I go to the dentist, I don't want mercy. I want approval. So if I really want the love of God and his mercy, I want it where I need it. I want it to where in the place where I have misery. And the more that desire, so the more mercy God wants to give me and the closer he wants to come to me, the more he makes me desire it. St. Teresa of Avila, in as much as you desire God, you will find him. If you desire him that much, you're going to get that much. If you desire him this much, you get this much. Talk about the most exciting principle in all of the universe. Imagine if you went to a bank and they said, as much money as you want, you got. You got something much better. God says, as much God as you want, you have. How much more will my Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? 
So now, dear people, you should be thinking. So the strategy of the enemy is to kill holy desire. Write that down, underline it, circle it, put stars by it. If you want to be close to God and your heart starts telling God that, he wants to squelch that really fast. So after five seconds, you give up on that desire and you go back to chocolate chip cookies. Because then you can't receive God. So that's how God works in your soul, where he wants to come close to you and fill you with his gifts. He creates a desire in you to want it. And if you have faith, you will exercise that. If you don't, you'll give up on it and feel bad. And start wondering what's wrong with you. And why God doesn't answer your prayer. <clears throat> Here's the best example, the best analogy I know of how this whole thing works. Um, and you ladies know this well, you moms. I've used this a lot. <laughs> and uh, I, think, I think it's true. It's the example of a mother feeding her baby. Uh, you remember that? The little toddler in the high chair. Mom wants to give him nutrition, give him food, give him something good. So she already desires to give him something good. He has to receive it. So she pulls out huh, the jar of Gerber baby food, huh, the blended peas, and says, here, honey, here's some vegetables. And even though he's many years from the age of reason, he knows something that looks that bad can't possibly taste good. So he says, no. And so right there at that point, dear people, she's standing in the shoes of God, and he's standing in our shoes as one who prays, as one who receives. And so now she has to stir in him the desire to receive what she already wants to give. So you moms know all that goes, the right, the airplane trick. This is here, honey. The choo-choo train. If those don't work, you taste it. You say, mmm. You lie to your child.
And then finally he says, give me. But him saying, give me, didn't get you to give it to him. It got him to receive what you were already giving. That's how active receptivity works in the human heart when it comes to God. If you want closeness with God, if you want to be faithful to God, if you want to be true, if you want to be free from this sin which holds you back from God, you are going to receive all that by a growth in desire. Where you lack faith, that desire will only make you feel bad. And get you focused on yourself. So that's, that's the um, third step to want it. On uh, February 12th, I was flying back from Rome after being commissioned by Pope Francis as a missionary of mercy, and I was on the Amsterdam-Minneapolis flight, the transatlantic, it's an eight, eight-and-a-half flight. I was, on, I was in seat 27C, which is an aisle seat, and beside me was this man who had his Ph.D. in evolutionary biology. He was American-born in Michigan, but he uh, was actually teaching, excuse me, evolutionary biology in a university in Switzerland, and he moved his family there. He was a delightful fellow, a believer, not Catholic, but he was a, a Christian uh, believer. And after, uh, after sitting with him for several hours and having a good conversation, he asked me uh, about you know, what I was doing, why, where I was and all this, and eventually um, it became known that I was in Rome as uh, for, for the Pope to commission me as missionary mercy, blah, blah, blah. The last hour or two of the flight, I finally turned to him and said, Dr. Greg, if you sat down in a pew in a church and a missionary of mercy shows up, what do you want him to say to you about mercy? What do you want him to tell you what do you hope he says he said wait i i gotta th that's a good question monsignor i i gotta i want to think about that and he actually sat quietly for three to five minutes and then he said this i gotta read it to you he said i would like to hear no nonsense stories of ordinary people with ordinary lives experiencing the mercy of God in ordinary circumstances that are unmiraculous. As a scientist, I like evidence. And I understand that God and his mercy are mysteries beyond the scientific method. However, if the mercy of God is real... There should be some type of proof that we as humans can experience the mercy of God in real, unmiraculous, ordinary ways. That's what I would like him to say. I thought, 
I'm glad I'm not going to his parish. <laughs> no, I, I said, doctor, you just expressed the desire of every human heart, I'm sure, that I'll ever speak to. So when I heard his answer, I was both disappointed and excited. I was disappointed because I had just done all my studies on splachnitzomai, and my guns were loaded, ready to pour splachnitzomai all over him. But he wasn't interested in the idea of mercy. Here was a brilliant man, highly educated, very bright, but he was not interested in discussing the idea of mercy. He was interested in receiving it. That's what he wanted. Father, convince me that I too can receive mercy. I too can receive the peace of God. I too can be his friend. So I said, so Dr. Gray, you would really like to experience the mercy of God regularly? He said, of course. Then I asked him a question that I asked all of uh, that I ask all of us. I said, "How often do you bring that desire to him?" So you want you want to you want to experience you want to experience God in your heart. You want to be close to Him. How often do you actually bring that to Him? He said, I don't. So then I asked him, what do you do? Listen up, dear people. He said, I think about it. Sound familiar? I think about how great it would be if I could actually have the peace of God. I think about it. I think about God. I think about how great it would be if I knew how to pray. I think about it. The devil thinks about God all the time. The fourth step, the most important step in cultivating a receptive heart is once I desire mercy, listen closely everyone, once I desire anything from God, peace, love, hope, joy, kindness, guidance, strength, the fourth step is I bring that desire to him. I bring that desire to him. I relate that desire to him. And if all I do is think about it, you can be certain you lack faith there. 
I think about it. Faith receives from God, dear people, only after it relates to God. Faith that just thinks about God as an idea that doesn't relate with him is not faith. It is some enlightened idea of reason of the mind. And so write this down in big bold letters. Monsignor Thomas James Richter, you don't have to write my name, thinks the greatest problem in the body of Christ after being a priest for 20 years is non-relational thinking. Non-relational thinking. Non-relational thinking that is devoid of an I-thou relationship where I don't relate to God. The wife who sits and thinks about, I need, should talk to my husband about this, and she thinks about it for two years, but never brings it to him. It doesn't bring her peace, it brings her burden. It weighs on her, it gives her anxiety. Faith receives because it relates to God. It turns to God. It brings its desire to God. It brings its need to God. Its hope to God. It turns to God. When God wants to give me more peace, he makes me feel Less peace than I want. So I say, gosh, I wish I had more peace. And if I don't go to the next step, God, I hold this desire for more peace up to you. Do with it what you wish. The peace that's in your heart, I want in mine. I trust in you. Fill me with whatever peace you want. And I go back to eating my yogurt. And the next time that comes up, Lord, my heart longs for more peace from you. I know it's in you. I know what I'm looking for is in your heart. If you wish to give it to me, I promise to be grateful. And I go back to my work. But if I just sit there eating my yogurt, reading the newspaper, wondering why I don't have as much peace as I want, all of God's holy desires simply make me feel bad. Because the enlightenment and modernism 
on how we have come to see human reason as our God is where we go. I'm going to figure this out. I think, therefore I am. Knowledge is power, Francis Bacon. As opposed to, no, I'm a child. God's my dad. And here's a need I can't cause. I can't fabricate the love I desire in my heart. I go to him to receive it. This is the problem in the body of Christ. If you want lively faith, you need a heart that relates. There is no such thing as lively faith if the heart doesn't relate to God. I don't care how bright you are. I don't care how much theology you know. I don't care how many degrees you have. One does not know God if one does not know how to receive from God. And I have found the people who struggle the most are the most intelligent. Because simple-minded people know they shouldn't trust in their puny little head. The obstacle is non-relational thinking. That's, I'm thinking about myself, to myself, with myself, focused on myself, but not relating to God. Brother priest, it's a big problem with us. It's a huge problem with priests. And when that starts happening, a priest quickly feels alone and burdened. Every homily is supposed to be received. Not thought up. Homilies aren't thought up. Homilies are God wants to speak to his people and somebody has to receive that and speak it for him. But a priest who doesn't trust in that, doesn't have enough faith, he just opens up his commentaries, chicken soup stories, all those stupid things. And it's not from God. It's clever. It's cute. It may even be skillful. But it didn't feed the heart it didn't convert the heart their heart didn't meet the heart of God just a little more and then we'll take a break and I'll do step five after the break this is a really cheesy example but this is, this is what I'm trying to say. This 
this is how silly non-relational thinking is around the desires that God puts into us. In great desperation one day, I thought of this. This didn't come from God. This was me. (laughs) So imagine I'm standing here and a 500-pound rock lands on my left foot. A 500-pound rock lands on my foot. Very quickly, a desire would come up. I wish this 500-pound rock wasn't on my foot. That would come up fast. Now imagine that at the same time that rock fell, it just so happens that standing right here happens to be the 500-pound rock-lifting champion of the whole world. All he does for a living is lift up 500-pound rocks. So I have this rock on my foot, I desire it to be off, and there is the 500-pound rock-lifting champion of the world. What do you think I would do? Do you think I would sit and think in my head, gosh, I, I would really like to have this rock off my foot. Is there a book I can read about how I can get this rock off my foot? Why do 500-pound rocks always fall on my foot? (laughs) Here's what I would do. I would have this desire. I would turn, and I would relate it to the man who I know is capable of this, and I would say, Sir, if you would be so kind, I beg you to take this rock off my foot. That's prayer. We don't relate our desires to Jesus. This is a terrible thing to say, but it's true. Because in the end, we don't believe he's real. We are practical atheists. We don't believe in our baptism. I am with you always. We either don't believe he's real, we don't believe he's with us, or we think he's impotent. That Jesus really can't fulfill my desires. I got to make that happen. He's an impotent Lord. He can't please the bride. She has to go somewhere else. And so we don't go to him. We take our desires everywhere else. Texting. Beer. TV. A thousand and one places. But we don't actually turn to him and hold that desire up to him. And keep holding it. Because we lack faith. Faith is hard not because it's complicated, because it's simple. 
Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, there shall be, world without end. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father Malloy.